son of Solomon who takes over. Here's some things that you need to know about him. Um, and this is more from chapter 14 here. I'm going to move it up into chapter 12 because he does something first. But he is a son of Solomon. Uh, he takes after Solomon very well. He has 18 wives and 60 concubines. That's significantly less than 1,000. Uh, 78 versus 1,000. But still, he gets the idea, right? He's 41 years old when he becomes a king. He reigns in Judah for 17 years. Twice listed his mother. His mother's name was Naamah, and she's an Ammonite. Interesting thing about this, Ammonite, of course, a foreigner, but here's what it says in, in chapter 11, verses 5 through 7. I put that, he followed, this is talking about Solomon now, this is back when Solomon was, was not president, king. He followed the asterisk of the, the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. The two biggies, right? He's intermarrying with all these, forming alliances. And he not only takes their wife, the, the wife of these women, but he also takes their gods. And two of his favorites are the Ammonite gods and the, of the Sidonians as well. So, so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He empowered worship of the Ammonite god and apparently participated. This brings us to a concept that's very valuable for us because it's prevalent among us. Syncretism. I think I put that. Syncretism. It, it's just, go ahead and put the definition. Yeah, the attempt to combine different religious systems and thoughts into one. I'm, a, I am a, a, I'm an Israelite, he would say. I worship the God of Israel. But I don't see any reason not to put a little bit of Moabite in here, a little Ammonite in here, a little of this God in here, and a little bit of this. He doesn't forsake Yahweh. He just joins with him these other things that he likes from everywhere. He becomes very eclectic, right? Think of this as sinking everything he likes into one. You, today, people would look at this and go, well, you're not technically forsaking God. But what does God view it as? Does God go, well, I'll give you credit for putting me in there? No, not really. God is very jealous. This is a concept that comes up in this, uh, this verse, this, this passage, and certainly with Rehoboam. God is a jealous God. He wants our allegiance, and he won't share it with anybody. The throne is a seat for how many? Throne is a seat for one, and God wants that seat. So he is handed this great united kingdom that Solomon has, and he's the one who tears it apart. And I want to look at why he tears it apart and some things he does. It's in chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem. Shechem was in the northern tribes, right? It's up north. For all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king, and as soon as Jeroboam, Jeroboam son of Nebat, heard of it, he was in Egypt where he'd gone uh, when he rebelled against him and, and escaped. They called for him, and he came part of this. Your father, verse 4, made our yoke heavy. Please lighten the hard service of your father and the heavy yoke on us, and we will be delighted to serve you. He said, go away for two or three days, and, and I'll think about it. The people go away, and King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men, and you know how this story goes. They stood before Solomon, his father, right? And they saw all that Solomon had done. And the older men said, yes, they're right. You need to, you, we advise you to take it easy on these people. If you will be a servant to them, 
and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they'll be your servants forever. Does that seem outlandish to you? If you just treat them kindly and give them a little bit of a break, be a servant king. Imagine that, be a servant king, and they'll serve you. But he didn't go with that counsel. He got a bunch of his peers together, and he said, they want me to lighten the yoke. What, they sh- what, what should I do? In verse 10, the young men who'd grown up with him said, here's what you say. You're our, uh, my father made your yoke heavy, and you want us to lighten it. But he says, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs, and now whereas my father laid on a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. He disciplined you with whips. I'll discipline you with scorpions. Now, here's what I surmise as being his problem. Number one, he did not know the amount of tension that was in the land because he refused to listen to people. That's said again in verse 14. The people longed for some relief. But you know how he grew up? He grew up in the palace of the king. All he knew was privilege. All he knew was all the stuff Solomon had provided him. That's his life, and that's all that he ever knew. And when he hears these people complaining, why are not you babies, you know? And, and, and what he's doing is he's not listening to them and hearing their experience. There's a thing in our country that a lot of us frown upon, make fun of, called white privilege. That because you're white, Caucasian, middle class, you happen to think that everybody's had the same experience you have. And you frown upon people who, who look at life different because they had a different kind of experience. White privilege is a very real thing. We had some advantages that other people don't have. And sometimes what happens is if you assume everybody's had the same experience you've had and you judge them based on that, you suddenly judge them harshly. And when they say, we just need things taken a little bit lighter on us, and we, no, no, and you do exactly what Rehoboam did. Now, I don't know how to solve all that, and I'm not sure, it's, it, it's often taken to a great extreme, but listen, here's, here's the key to solving this. At least listen. At least listen to the experience of other people. Not your experience is different than theirs, but that gives credence. They, they feel respected when you listen, and he didn't listen. He just completely disregarded it immediately, right off the bat. Second, When he did his homework, he listened to the wrong people. Now, they're not wrong because they're young. And the older people aren't right because they're old. But I want you to listen to two of these lines that he takes up and then he ends up repeating to them. I'm going to add to your yoke. What tone of voice is that? I'm going to add to I'm going to make it heavier. I'm going to make it harder. What kind of heart says that? And then here's the other line he says. I'll tell you what. I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. What kind of word is that? What is that a, say, a way to say, uh, talk to people? He was listening to these people. We're going to make it tough. You know, you know, that, that, doesn't that sound good for a president, right? You get on the TV and, I hate you Americans. We're going to punish you. It, it's, it's crazy. He listened to the wrong people. And the words coming out of his mouth as a result of that were terrible. Third, he couldn't envision how servant leadership could work. kings you see they wanted to be like kings like all the other nations all the other nations had kings that ruled by force and these people said why don't you be a king who serves the people 
God mentioned that in Deuteronomy 17 when he predicted that the kings would come and you need to don't be taking, 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 enslaving, 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 instead serve them. But none of the kings want to do that. It's like they couldn't imagine that. Later on, on this same throne, the last king of this throne is a man known as Jesus. And he actually said to his people, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for you. That's the kind of king that we have on the throne. He's ruling us right now. And that's the kind of servant heart he wants us to have in the church too. He just couldn't conceive of servant leadership. I want you to notice what he does then when all Israel couldn't stand this. They decided, you, forget it, you're not our king. They go off to the north and, and, and Rehoboam goes down to the south because the south two tribes are going to stay with him, right? When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to him, the people answered the king, what portion do we have with David then? We have no inheritance with the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look to your own house, David. It's your own mess. So Israel went to their tents. Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram who was the taskmaster over forced labor. And all Israel stoned him to death. I'm going to talk them into it, so I'm going to send the guy who was over forced labor to talk to them. Talk about dumb, right? This is the guy who was over forcing them to work from the north to benefit the south. Y'all notice that the Civil War still isn't over? Has anybody noticed that? The Civil War in America, so many years later, Still ain't over. And even after David united the kingdom, it wasn't long before they still felt that. They knew exactly where the line was, right? They knew who the north and the south was. And so this guy, Adoram, right? He is the guy who is over forcing these people to work for the benefit of the south. If you want to negotiate and persuade, don't send that guy right? Don't send that dude. He's not the one to talk to them. And then when he gets home, by the way, they stone him to death and Rehoboam runs for his life and he barely makes it out. When you try to persuade, think of the best way to do that. I think about this in elders meetings that especially used to have in Kennett because these issues would come up and there would be somebody that they needed to talk to. You see, disfellowshipping, that isn't the first step you take. That's not number one. There's a lot of other things before. And we'd get together and we'd say, okay, this person needs to be talked to. And the first question is, who would be a person they respect they would most likely listen to? That's who we need to send. Not necessarily even one of the elders, but somebody they spiritually respect. Be careful who you send to people. Send the right person. You send the wrong person? And sometimes that wrong person was me, and I was escorted off property, right? That would sometimes be the case. Preacher's coming. Don't open the door, right? But, but that's the careful thing. That's what he should have done. Rehoboam, as you'll turn over to chapter 14 now, that's where his reign is really talked about. Uh, he decides that um, he's going to introduce idolatry. He's going to take his syncretism into the throne, Yes, go ahead on Saturdays and let's worship God on the Sabbath, but then you can worship on every high tree and under every green, every, under every green tree and every, uh, on every high hill. So he set up these worship centers where people could worship all across the country. 
He's introducing idolatry that is forever going to stay with them, and it's going, to be their, it's going to be the thorn in their side all the way through this. Our God is an exclusive God who wants our undivided attention. What he knows is no man can serve two masters. And so Rehoboam equips the people to be able to worship more than just God. What happens as a result? First of all, when you've got Rehoboam here, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, reigned in Judah, verse 21 of chapter 14. Forty-one years old when he began to reign, reigned 17 years, the city that the Lord had chosen out of the tribes of Israel, Jerusalem, to put his name there. His mother's name and all that stuff is put in there. Verse 25, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, keep in mind, this is what happens when you decided not to give your complete divided, undivided attention to God. Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything, the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze. Which is more valuable, gold or bronze? I mean, come on, Olympics, gold is first place. Bronze is third place. It's down below silver. Now, if you remember, when Solomon was king, he made silver as common as dust in the land. It's not even silver. So the first thing you know is this. The Egyptians come in, and they made vassals of Judah. Now Judah has to pay in order for, Jeruz for, for the Egyptians to leave them alone for a little while. It's kind of like a taxation thing. The Egyptians take over, and God, it says, in the reading that we just done a moment ago, this was God's doings. He's trying to humble Rehoboam. He's trying to get his attention, and for a time, it worked. When we don't give undivided attention to God, God will allow some of these other forces in our life to enslave us, and that's God's discipline. It hurt them financially, Took all the gold out of the temple, replaced it with bronze, just not quite the same. And then they were at war, it says, with the tribes of Israel until the end of his reign, and continued to in the next one. This is what happens when you don't put God first. You will be ruled by somebody. You'll financially be affected. The status of your life, also, you'll have conflict. All that's kind of what happens when you don't put God first. What is the value of this for us? What do we learn from Rehoboam that will benefit us? Here's number one. Listen to and consider people. This is part of servant leadership. But it's such a big thing, it should be just mentioned on its own. Jesus is Lord of the church this way. He listens, right? And here's one of the interesting things. When you talk about that passage in Ephesians 5 where it says, don't be drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. We are told as God's people to position ourselves to be full of the Spirit's influence. And one of the things that will happen when you do that, it's the fourth one listed there. You will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you have the heart of God, when you have the servant spirit of Jesus, when you're filled with the spirit of God, you will submit to other believers. You know what that means? You will give up your preferences 
for the benefit of other people. You won't demand your rights all the time. It doesn't have to be your way all the time. And that is a spiritual discipline. That is a spiritual impact of God's influence in your life because the the Savior and the King of our life rules that way. Listen to and consider the needs of other people. This is in particular importance to the one who has the most power in a relationship. So in the book of Ephesians, right after he mentions this, he says, husbands and wives. Husbands, you typically in culture have more power in this relationship than the wife. But I want you to serve her. Fathers, you, you, you typically have more power in the relationship with your children, but I want you not to exasperate them. I want you to bring them up, empowering them in the Lord. Employees, employers, it goes all the way through this. This thing is about who, what do you do with the power you have? Listen, we all have influence and we all have power in the positions we have. How do you use it? You lead by serving. That's the second aspect of this. That's how... We're to understand this. I, I am on the lookout for deacons all the time. That's a weird thing to think. Uh, I'm looking out for good members. And you know what I'm looking for? Do you know what gets discussed around that elders table when they talk about people for leadership positions? Did you all notice the last potluck? Who started picking up the tables and the chairs? Did you notice who didn't seem to notice that we were doing that and they kept eating and drinking all the way through it? Did you notice who snuck out the side door when we started picking up chairs? And did you notice who stayed? You know what impresses in the church? That crazy person who picks up chairs. Perry, amen. And then comes into the kitchen and says, is there anything else? I don't want to leave it like this. That's leadership, not servanthood. Actually, it's both. And in the kingdom, that's the same thing. That's the weirdest thing. The one who has the power is the one who can sit here and the woman does all the work of clean. Really? Not in the kingdom. The kingdom, it's a different thing. It's this. It's you lead by serving. And so when it comes time for deacons or even elders, it's like, look around at who's picking up the chair. That's the group we want, right? Third thing, don't ever forget our God is a jealous God. He will not share us. That's the ground of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And he says why? I am a jealous God. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, like he's somehow insecure in himself. That's not, it's not an insecure jealousy. It is a jealousy that knows that you are best served when you make God number one in your life and it blesses your life. And when you start distracting yourself with other things, it hurts you and God doesn't want that to happen to you. He won't share that throne. He won't share that position with you. And your behavior can provoke him to jealousy. So if you think, well, I still worship God. I come to worship on Sundays and I worship God. I put him first. And then in the rest of the week, I kind of dabble in this and dabble in that. And that's okay. God doesn't care about the rest of the week. That's not true. He's kind of an every hour of the day kind of God. Just as he wants to bless you every moment of the day, he wants your allegiance every moment of the day all the time. So I guess the best summary would be this, is that 
we should love God and we should love God's people. And that happens to be like the two greatest commandments, isn't it? And life will be a whole lot better for us once we get those two things in the right order. So when you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will fit right in. Rehoboam didn't know that, and it cost him not only a good reign, but it cost Israel a united kingdom. And may we be a group of people that seeks to be united with one another, and we will never agree on anybody being ruler. I love Jeff Madden, but you, listen, I know enough about him. There's none of it. We can't all agree with Jeff Madden. We're not all going to agree with Jeff Madden. We're not all going to agree with Wesley or Terry or Danny or the preacher or the youth minister or anybody. You know who we will all agree with? The head of the church, Jesus. That's who we all submit to. And that's what God wants. And that's how we're to best live. Don't get involved in distractions and don't divide up your life. Don't be like Rehoboam. Instead, serve God and respect his jealousy of what he wants to be in our lives. If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, the invitation stands open uh, for you to be a person who says, I want to give my life to God for the first time and, that, and admit the name of Jesus, confess the name of Jesus, be immersed. Or if you're a person who just got your life out of whack by following all these other things, and you're like, I'm ready to come back to him. I'm ready to come back to the jealous God as my one and only. Whatever is your need, make it known as we stand and as we sing.